John chapter 8. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach. And the teachers of the law brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, we were commanded to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him of breaking the law. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So, as you hear that scripture, you've probably heard that story before. Maybe, maybe you haven't. Maybe it's new to you. Maybe it's an advantage if you haven't. But when you hear that story, what do you think that teaches you? Or what, do, what comes to mind when you think about who this Jesus is of this story? What are the things that pop in your mind? What do you learn? What does this teach you about Jesus and how he treated this moment? That he is forgiving. What else? That he's compassionate. I love in scripture talks all the time about before Jesus did something, even when he fed the thousands, it said that the scripture says that Jesus looked upon the masses with compassion. That's good. What else? Okay, good. So Jesus spoke truth. He, he called her to a new way of living. But before he did that, he extended an amazing amount of grace to her, right? He didn't just say, oh, you better fix yourself. What else? Ah, that's good. Yeah, did you catch that? This were, these were religious. When I, when I think about scripture and I think about church and I think about, you know, um, it's easy for us to point at other people and go, oh, you're the teachers of the law, you're the whatever. It's like we are all that. We, we so easily in our culture slip into thinking we know what is best for other people all the time. And it comes across judgmental and we so easily slip into that, into that mode. Um, and they were trying to suck Jesus into that, weren't they? They were trying to, they trick him, but also to bring him into that, into that side. And so when I look at this story, I, I look at Jesus and I think, wow, I'm, I'm more like the other guy probably, unfortunately. But he doesn't get sucked into that. What else do you learn about Jesus in this moment? No that there's no condemnation. There's a scripture that says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, right? Is that what the church is known for? Not judging and bringing no lack of condemnation? Why is that? Do you ever sit back and just go, why are we not known? Why is there such a stark difference? Do you ever sit back and just go, that's a massive problem? Do you ever just jump back and go, wow, the church that we see and the reputation? Okay, now... Some bad, not all bad. Some good, not all good. All that stuff. I don't want to overgeneralize, but, but are the people who are looking in on what we say is life-giving don't see it necessarily as life-giving. And that's confusing, probably to a lot of people. 
And it's probably the root or part of the root of, you know, this tension so much, especially, well, around the world when it comes to the church. What else? I think someone said... Yeah, so it's the flip side to what we were saying over here, that there was still truth as well as grace, which, right, and so there was a call to a turn, change, change, there's a new way of living, and that's the theme, Jesus' life and Jesus' teaching, he never just, you know, I think about, you know, I, as a child, I, I, I had this weird theology of God that he, I viewed him as sitting on a cloud throwing thunderbolts at people when they messed up, and, and um, that's just not the lens in which Scripture teaches what he's wanting to do and re- redeeming his creation and restoring us back to him. Is that there's, a, there's, a, there's truth, but there's grace because the purpose of every correction is to restore, not to beat up. Not to make someone f- feel less. Not to lift himself up. He doesn't, he doesn't exalt himself by pushing people down. He exalts himself by restoring people and making them new and bringing hope into the places where there seems like there's no hope. Right, and so I look at this story, and it's probably one of the. There's so many of them. One of the one of the stories as to why, what I love about Jesus the most, is that this is him. When you see stories of Christ, this is this is his heart. This is his posture. I love it that in this scripture, he was in the middle of really kind of a debate. If you go back into the book of John, he was in a debate where they were arguing interpret, interpretation of Scripture. And I know that's hard to understand because we never argue about that Scripture and how it's applied. But, but he was in the middle of teaching, debating how to live out a biblical faith, not just how to gather and worship, but how that should translate into our lives. Like something real. So many people in life are going, out, you know, this just doesn't feel real. I'm not seeing transformation. I want to experience God, whatever. And, and Jesus is giving us this example over and over and over. He's saying, here's a way of life that I've done, that I'm teaching you, that now you could go do. If you do that, you're going to experience all that you're hoping for. When we're not, we can almost always pull back and go, wow, was that, you know, a mirror of what I've learned or is that me? There's almost always a confusion between the two things. But he was in the middle of teaching this among religious people. It's too easy to think about scripture and hold ourselves up to those who don't claim to be religious or whatever and feel good about ourselves. But he's, he's doing business within his people. Okay? Saying that if we will do business the way we need to do business, then we will be good news to others. They will see this thing that we claim. And I think about this woman. Here she is. She's caught in adultery. It never says she was falsely... It says she was caught in the act of adultery. And so this is a big deal. I, can you imagine that moment where he's teaching all these religious people are around, including Jesus and his disciples, and they're, they're talking about God and what God wants, and you get drugged into the middle of this and forced to stand in front of them. And they go, guess what she did? Not only maybe the embarrassment... But to be stand accused and to stand alone. Probably terrified. I mean the law according to their interpretation was she should be stoned now. She should be killed. Um, What a horrifying moment that she stood alone. And that Jesus not only stood with her. He kneeled and got below her. What a beautiful word picture. Of how he deals with people uh, in grace. 
But I think it's really interesting that they didn't drag the man in. You ever thought about that? Where was the dude? <laughs> um, that shows our heart. That shows something that was going on there. I think that reminds us that we, we, we probably struggle with selective judgment more than we know. Um, but Jesus' response was to stoop to the ground and expose their sin. He didn't say, you sin. He just says, all right, if you haven't sinned, then throw, start throwing. And I love it that he, he said it, and then he knelt back down. And, like, I, I in my brain have, there's no eye contact. He's almost like, whatever, dude, you know. People think maybe he was writing the Ten Commandments in the, in the dirt. Some, of, some people believe maybe he was, he was writing out their sins in the dirt. Whatever, whatever it was, he, um, he took a different posture, didn't he? And then he stood up to, um, to be face-to-face and just said, where'd everyone go, you know? What an amazing... And I love it that it says they started to peel off one at a time, and it was the older ones who peeled off first. Because they knew. They, they had a little bit of wisdom. They got it. And then there were others that just followed them. Whether they all got it or not, it's interesting that possibly it was the older, but it was the elder. It was those that might have been even the most religious. That all of a sudden, there was this moment of, oh, wow, we've really missed it. And I just wonder where we have these teaching moments where we can really go, man, I really missed it. And then go, let's fix this. Let's turn and let's make it change the way we do faith or do religion or whatever. More than anything for me today, this story is, is kind of an example of the, just this new posture of how he was saying this is how we should live. This is how we should treat one another. To offer grace, for us to be more self-aware, for us to offer hope, but then us to off, offer truth. And it's so easy to love or to be in, be in love with the idea of love, and it's so much harder to actually do it, isn't it? So to be reminded and to be brought back to that, I think that's so important. You know, when we first began this thing that we called Austin New Church, and we, we chose the name New because Jesus taught all the time there's a new way of living that's better than the way we're living. There's a new way, there's a new life, there's a new spirit, there's, there's a hope. And, and so that was the reason for the title uh, what, what we named the church. I actually really hated the name of the church when we first started it, and I chose it. Um, but it was because I just, I wanted it to communicate something, you know, that, that was fresh and was new. Um, but that brought us back to what Scripture says God is doing uh, in us. But the heart of that has always been to take a new posture as the church. Not to expose other churches or other ways or whatever, but for us just to simply say, okay, let's be the church that we dream of. Let's be the church that we go, if we ever had a church that was like X, let's go do it. We don't really know how to, but let's go try to do this together. And so it just started serving and trying to be engaged in the lives of those maybe who might not be able to offer us anything back. And out of that, some really cool things started happening. And so at the very beginning, it was, it was not to compromise truth or anything like that, but simply to build a church that becomes good news because we kind of understand our own depravity. God's mercy. That's when Jesus says. He taught it. All, the prophets taught it. Jesus taught it. He says, I wish you'd go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then the prophets uh, in the Old Testament say, what is it that God requires of us? says, but to love mercy, not just understand it, but to come to a place where we understand our depravity and we understand the mercy God has extended to us so much that we're thankful for it. When we truly understand it, the only real result, evidence that we understand God's mercy is when you begin to love mercy. And then we're able to begin to extend it to others. All right? Um, and that's our honor. 
not our job, not our duty, but an overflow of what we understand of what God is doing in us, that our theology is actually developing, that we understand what God is doing in grace and truth in our lives. And so that's the heart. That's where we've, we've begun, and that's where we continue to try. But it's not always easy. And as you grow, I, I talk to church planners all over the, uh, the, all over the place. I, it's an honor to be able to talk to these guys. And everybody has these beautiful ideas of what they're going to go change the church forever and do this thing that no one else has done and all this stuff. And, and I always talk to them. And I, and I just ask you this question. So what if it works? What if it works and one day you look up you've got all these people and you've got to create structure and you've got to, and all of a sudden you start feeling like the church you didn't want to be or you start doing something, just seems to start feeling too familiar and it's not as crazy anymore and diverse anymore and all this stuff. What do you do in that moment? I, I feel like as we have grown, as we have changed, as we have moved, um, you know it's hard. It's hard, but I hope that as we maintain anything, whether we meet in this school, in the homes, in East Austin, South, West, North, wherever, that we remain, we have a different posture. That we try to be humble with one another. We try to do the things that we feel like God is really telling us to do that become good news to those who see us and the things that change us from the inside out, right? And so I'm really excited about the future of our church. Um, we've always just tried to make the next right decision, whatever that is, and be faithful when we feel like God is telling us to do something. So I'm really excited because we're still a community of faith committed to trying to do that. And we're just not going to do it right all the time, probably rarely. But maybe that's part of the fun as we extend grace to one another as well. And so part of what has been our desire to... To be this church, I think many times our desire is we have this thing that we grew up in or, or we see and we go, I don't want to be a part of that, so I want to do something different. We want to do something different, but we leave behind some things that are really good too. And one of the things from the very beginning we've tried to be is a church that's deeply committed um, that our desire is to be a community committed and driven both on how and where we gather together on Sundays and how we worship and how we live in community out there and how we sin. And so as we kind of start this new kind of chapter in life here in Shady Hollow, the next two weeks after this one, three weeks total, we're just going to take a moment to refresh why we do what we do and who we are. For those of you who are new, it's a great opportunity to just kind of see where we've come from um, and um, just kind of recast um, that vision. When it's all said and done... We just want to be ch- champions for the gospel, this good news that there's a better life in, to experience and encounter together. And that when we go, wow, we're missing something there, you go, yeah, maybe we feel that because something's missing. Let's figure it out. And let's, let's move forward. And um, so let me give you this. If you have your outline, go to that. That's the meat of what I'm talking about today, so don't get nervous that I'm just starting the outline. <laughs> um, as we look at how do we do church, so how do we do church in a way that honors God? As we look through all through scripture, there's not like one scripture that says do church this way. And when I say do church, hopefully you know this by now, if you know me or you know us, that we don't believe church is this, right? We are the church. 
All of us together, collectively, we are the body of Christ. We're the, we're the church, all right? This is a worship gathering. This is a worship service, which is a part of church, and there's reasons for that. But you're just as much the church out there when you're eating at Double Dave's as you are sitting here, okay? And so we need to know that. So when we use those words, it's probably just habit um, or whatever, but know that, that I mean that. But as we think about how we be or how we are, church what does that look like first we understand the heart of this church is 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 this commitment to two kinds of relationships the first one is vertical and the other one is horizontal if you're to look through scripture you see the ten commandments the first four are all about us mankind and our relationship with god the last six all have to do with our relationship with one another when jesus taught matthew 5 on the sermon on the mount He gave the Beatitudes. The first half all have to do with how we view ourselves, spiritually impoverished, needing mercy, all these things in our relationship to God. The last half are all how we view one another, horizontal relationships. When Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment in the scripture, he he always gave this answer that to love God, which is about a vertical relationship, and to love your neighbor as yourself, which is about how we live uh, in community um, together. And so they have these two different kinds of, of relationships. And traditionally, um, the forms of how we do that is anytime we come together for the sake of communing with God. Maybe it's in worship. Maybe a worship gathering or a teaching. Or you can do that even in a small group or when you're taking communion together or whatever. This thing where the focus is vertical, those are, those are typically... Um, um, a lot of times we just think of that's just happening on, on Sunday, okay? And then we have, but we have this vertical thing that is corporate, but it's also personal. And then we have this horizontal thing that is personal, but it's also corporate. And I would argue that our, our, our nature is to, bend, is to lean towards spending 90% of our time, 90% of our efforts, 90% of everything that we do into pulling off a Sunday morning, traditionally in the church, that we do that. And I think that that's a problem when Scripture is equally said we have to work maybe even harder to do this with one another. In fact, that's almost that's all that Jesus taught about was that focus. Okay, But one of the things that I think is distinctive about ANC is we truly believe that there is an equal value between the vertical, which might be proclaiming Christ and worshiping, and the horizontal, which is living incarnationally with one another and learning to do this. We, we value that equally. The problem is, is we so naturally do the gathering thing that we often neglect the other part or it gets our scraps. And so really the strategy at ANC has been to kind of pool ourselves over here 90% of the time just to hope to land in the middle. That's our desire. And so when we think about what we do and what we focus on, um, it's kind of the reason we do that. We think it, it does, it engages us spiritually in ways that just sitting in a church service doesn't do. And so we do that. Um, so that first couple of blanks, our hope is to be a church that equally values the gathering and the scattering, as Scripture calls it. We gather to love God and we scatter to love our neighbor. But both are forms of worship. Okay, both are forms of worship. And this commitment to these, these two things are rooted in three beliefs. Okay? The first one is, is that our greatest commission really is to just to be and make disciples. When Jesus told us what to do, Matthew twenty eight, he just said, Go and make disciples. 
Um, when we say that, how would you define a disciple? If Jesus was saying, here's a disciple, what would he say that means? A follower of Jesus. In, in what ways? Just walking around? Hey, Jesus walked to Nazareth. To imitate him? What else? Observing how, not just what he did, but how he did it, right? What else? And what would you teach them for the purpose of what? That they would know and they would love Jesus. That they would know Him. That they might know the Father. Right? Um, I, would, I would argue that a disciple is kind of best defined as an apprentice who seeks the kingdom. So an apprentice, someone who, apprentice is different than just a student. Uh, if you have a teacher and an apprentice, apprentice would say, uh, if it's a, he's a house painter, he would say, okay, you're my apprentice, watch me paint this house. Okay, now help me paint this house. Okay, now you paint it, I'm going to watch. And then you, there's, something, there's something to that. But it's a, someone who has the goal of taking on a way, his signature move, what he's all about. That that becomes something that they are about. And a disciple of Christ is a apprentice who's seeking this kingdom. And I think kingdom is really hard to understand. Because we, we think about uh, church and faith and kingdom. And we think about that. Okay, so you're supposed to just get saved so that one day you go to heaven. But Jesus taught very clearly that he came to usher in a new kingdom now and not yet. There is an afterlife. There truly is. But there's also something that he wants to bring now where his kingdom breaks through. When we choose him, when we extend grace to one another, when we approach people and even sin with humility, when we choose mercy over judgment, when we extend those things, that's what we represent. And then that third point there, that three beliefs, the the last one is that the church might be best defined or defined as, as the whole of those who seek to live for the kingdom. For his way. We're running out of time. I'm going I'm to skip a story, but I want to I I sh- just share this thought. As a pastor, it's a really weird struggle when you want to try and do something yourself and help others get there. And you feel that burden. You do. You guys ever seen Tommy Boy? Surely you've seen Tommy Boy, maybe. You know when he's trying to do the sale and he's explaining how he's, when he gets the sale, he gets it and he messes it up and he does all that? I think sometimes as church leaders, that's what we do. We like want to see something happen so bad and people experience the joy and the hope and the peace in their lives so bad that we create all this stuff where we try to force it happen and then we just like the circus freak thing, you know? Um, and here's, here's what I've realized is that no one can make you do what you don't want to do. I can't. You can't make me do what, you don't, what I don't want to do. But, you know, there's some things that you, we can't just be taught. Some things we just have to feel for ourselves. Sometimes we have to feel desperation and alone and isolation. Sometimes we have to feel um, uh, victory and grace. Sometimes, you know, we have to experience certain things. And so that's... that's our heart, that's one of the things that I feel like God has said. For A and C, can we be, as we worship, go vertical and horizontal as we learn together? Can we think about what are the different environments in which we need to be to experience and to encounter the things that Jesus wants to teach us? And so that's kind of the heart behind why I think even Jesus said, I want you to serve the poor. 
Because I think he, want, he knows when we get in front of those environments that it will change us. And then when we do that and it changes us, then the church just becomes the church that he'd maybe dreamed of. And so it's about those experiences and those things. And I would say that our hope for ANC might best be described in three different environments. So the next three weeks, these are the things we're going to talk about. Three environments, a place of belonging, a place of learning, and a place of serving. Well, we as a staff, we struggle with these words because every word we come up with has some kind of baggage. You know, if we say community, you know, we might default to, ooh, community center or community pool or community whatever, and it's kind of cheapened. Jesus often taught community, biblical community, through the lens of family. But for some of us, family is real confusing. Um, and yet, truly, that's the goal. It's the word picture in which, how does that look as we wrestle with that together? I mean, yeah, you still... You got, you know, the one thing I think is, 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 is interesting about family is, is um, um, even in a family that there's no victims or what, there's, there's always dysfunction. There's always dysfunction in family, right? It's almost the word, there, is there such thing as functional family? I don't know. And, and yet when we really disappoint one another is when we expect or think or hope for something that just maybe is impossible. But to work through that together is so important. So that idea of belonging, we've always said ANCS should be a place where people belong. You don't have to do something or believe something or be perfect or even anything before this is a place where you can belong on your journey of exploring. Wherever you are, I don't care where you are, I don't care what you've done. That it could be a place where you belong. What does that mean? We're trying to figure that out. But that's our hope. Okay, that's, that's our dream. That that would be a place of safety. And, and so I think a place to belong has a few thoughts. One is that it's a, that is a new kind of community. A community that's committed to some kind of weird family thing as we figure out what it is and that's committed to discovering faith together. I think it would be marked by a new kind of vulnerability. I think for some reason when we start talking about religion or faith, we start getting really weird with each other and we get insecure and what if they don't what if they know I don't know the first book of the New Testament? And so we start keeping people at arm's length and we start pushing other people down in order to raise ourselves up or we point out something else so that we don't have to deal with our own and just it's a really strange dynamic. But I we hope that we would always have the posture of vulnerability where it's safe to say, I don't get it. And, and where it's a safe place for me to go, I'm not sure I do either, but let me get back to you on that. And that's okay, right? Vulnerability. Um, defined by a new kind of inclusivity. It's a weird thing to belong before maybe even you believe something. But that's about relationship and grace and walking together. That's when you know it's really about the journey and not necessarily the arrival. And then I would say a new kind of affinity. That our goal has never been to build a church. In fact, Scripture, Jesus never told us to build the church. He said he'll build the church. He said, you deal with the kingdom. You deal with the things of the kingdom. The things where my way overrules your way. You deal with that, and I'll build the church. But there is an affinity where we get to come together then and have a concern for one another. I'll just close with this scripture when I'm thinking about that. A new kind of affinity, it's at Hebrews chapter 10. There's a lot of scripture on the back from the stuff that we're dealing with today. But uh, close with this thought, and then we'll have a couple songs together, and we'll take communion. Um, from Hebrews chapter 10. And this is my invitation to you. 
Let us consider how we can stir one another along towards love. Let's consider, that, that, that phrase consider, or that word consider, really to reflect upon. To really reflect upon, to really consider how we can stir up one another to love and good works. That means there's actually something going on in our lives. There's just some change. Not out of guilt or out of anything like that. Not neglecting to meet together, because we need one another, as in the habit of some. So early church, Hebrews already, they're starting to skip church. <laughs> and I don't mean this, I just mean in life together. I want to skip church sometimes. Most of the time, to be honest with you. No. Um, but instead, the opposite thing, encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray.